1: consumer cellular when freedom calls we're here to answer call us at one freedom half the cost savings based on cost of consumer cellular single line five gigabyte data plan with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plan offered by t-mobile and verizon may 2023
0: you are listening to veggie doctor radio and this is episode number 45 ian kramer the plant-based cyclist on the power of a whole foods, plant based diet for athletes. It's crunchy, green, and yummy, and it's about to blow your mind. It's low on calories, and it looks like mini trees when you're having dinner with me. I am your host, Dr. Yami board-certified pediatrician, food-for-life cooking instructor, health and wellness coach, and passionate promoter of the power of diet and lifestyle in preventing and reversing chronic disease and bringing joy and longevity into our lives. This podcast is focused on plant-based nutrition, habit formation, behavior change, and motivation so that you can have the tools to live the best life possible. Thank you so much for tuning in today, and I hope you keep coming back as a regular listener. You can find more of my work, including health and wellness videos, at Veggie Fit Kids on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Are you ready to get started? Let's do it. Veggie lovers, it's Sunday. I hope that you are doing fantastic. It's good to be here. It's good to be here with you. This week, I have a really fun episode with Ian Kramer. I actually got to be on his podcast some time ago, and in turn, I had him on my podcast because he has great things to say. So we have a really fun time. But before I tell you more about Ian, I would love to remind you to please take a moment to rate and review my podcast. I greatly appreciate that. It helps others find this podcast, learn more about different ways that they can improve their health through diet and lifestyle, behavior change, habit formation, all of that great stuff. So please take time to rate and review. Also, please share. It really helps when you share this. That way other people see that you like it and that you recommend it. And I know that I take my friend's recommendations seriously. So other people that recommend things and say, hey, I really got something out of this episode, consider taking a listen, that influences me. So be an influencer and share this. I would really appreciate it. Also, if you want to know more about everything else that I am doing, please go to VeggieFitKids.com. That's VeggieFitKids.com. Sign up for my newsletter so that you can be on board and learn all about the videos I do, when my book is gonna be ready for pre-order, and all of that great stuff and all the other programs that I have available. Check me out on Facebook, on Instagram, and on YouTube. So that is my plug for all of the other things that I do. But let me tell you more about Ian Kramer, he is a super interesting guy. He's really passionate. We had a really fun conversation as usual. It's one of those things that it definitely could have lasted greater than an hour, didn't get to all the questions I wanted to ask him. But I think that you'll really enjoy it, especially if you are an athlete or have a child that's an athlete. So Ian Kramer is a competitive cyclist, and he is passionate about spreading the message that diet and lifestyle dramatically affect individual health, as well as the health of the planet. For Ian, this reality speaks of encouragement. He motivates others and is motivated himself By the simple yet challenging concept that maintaining good health and peak performance involve making good choices. Likewise, chronic disease may be reversed or prevented when these good choices that are easily and economically available become the norm every day. He is an allied health professional with degrees in kinesiology and athletic training and beyond his day job, he's a public lecturer and produces an interview-based podcast. Driven by knowledge, evidence, and civil discourse, he created the Ian Kramer podcast. With a mission to interview doctors and scholars of lifestyle medicine and plant-based nutrition, Ian's unwavering focus in his podcast is to learn more, disseminate this information to a larger audience, educate lay people and the medical community, and change the world by leading in positive and responsible ways. In June of 2015, he and a group of three friends from Ohio rode their bikes across the country in what's known as the Race Across America. Supported by a full crew, Team Oxford Autoimmune completed the 3,200 mile journey in seven days, 16 hours and 27 minutes. For Ian, the estimated 6,000 miles of training and racing for the event were all done on a plant-based diet. He continues to race and ride recreationally in Rochester, New York. All right, so that is information about Ian. I really hope that you enjoyed today's episode. Have a fantastic week ahead, and I will catch you on the next episode. Here we go.
1: It's crunchy, green, and yummy, and it's about to blow your mind.
0: It's low on calories, and it looks like many trees. When you're having dinner with me, broccoli. Ian, welcome to Veggie Doctor Radio. Thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Good to be with you, Dr. Yami. Thank you.
0: Well, I had so much fun on your podcast. Thank you so much for having me on the Ian Kramer podcast. You're welcome. And I now want to learn more about you. So... You have been health conscious and interested in athletic performance since you were in high school, which I think is admirable because a lot of us in high school were like, whatever, pizza, chips, you know, all that kind of stuff. But it wasn't until you watched Forks Over Knives, which from my understanding, that was in graduate school that you became inspired to eat a plant-based diet. So what was it about that documentary that resonated with you?
1: I guess it was in part, I saw that there was a professional athlete there, Mac Danzig, who, although our sports don't have a whole lot of overlap, he's, he was an MMA uh, fighter. Um, I saw that planted the seed that, hey, active people and athletes can eat this way and still thrive and it was also the fact that it just seemed like this way of eating was the best of all worlds. It was like a win-win-win in the sense that not only could we eat this way to, to thrive as athletes, but we could also eat this way, this was the best way of eating to also uh, prevent chronic diseases and live and thrive into your, as we now know, 80s and 90s and 100s hopefully fully functional and still free of chronic diseases. So I I guess it also had to do with me me wanting the best for myself and uh, being efficient and being evidence-based and being objective and saying, you know what, even though I like the taste of bacon, it's probably not the best choice for me in the long run to keep eating this stuff. It's just, it doesn't make logical sense. That's kind of how my mind works. And and so yeah, that movie um, inspired me to try it, and it's been working wonders for me ever since.
0: Oh, that's a great story. So it really was still the athlete within you that connected to that athletic potential. Whenever you yeah. saw the documentary, so before you watched Forked Over Knives, what was your diet like?
1: So I grew up fairly omnivorous um, in rural upstate New York, and I will say that I grew up eating a lot of fruits and vegetables. Um, I was always, we were always encouraged to eat well. Um, but, but certainly growing up all through high school, it was, we certainly didn't shy away from meat. We didn't shy away from dairy. Uh, big fans of yogurt. Uh, you know, I could remember going to the grocery store with my mom growing up and, and we would buy, I have a younger brother and an older brother. We're separated by about a year and a half each. And so growing up, when we were in middle and high school, we would probably buy four or five gallons of milk a week. So um, so I mean, going with that, um, growing up in high school, um, eating those foods, and then it wasn't in, in undergrad, I lived on campus and ate from the um, dining hall. So my diet in undergrad still was pretty omnivorous. However, in grad school is when we're, things really turned around because I was able to buy, I had to buy my own groceries. And um, that's when really the transition came into play because I was in full control of what I bought and what I spent my money on and what was on my plate. So in in that respect, um, I got rid of the 1 gallon of milk a week, I got rid of the greek yogurt and meat in in graduate school wasn't that big a, a part of my menu. It might have been on average 3 to 4 servings a week, not 3 to 4 servings a day as some of us eat. So those were the main things I got rid of and I just simply replaced those with fruits and vegetables and starches and whole grains and beans and legumes and uh and and uh that's, so I I say to people, I didn't eat compared to most Americans uh, and most people eating kind of standard American. I think my animal product consumption was lower than average, but it was still certainly there.
0: Yeah. And, you know, all of that milk and yogurt you were eating when you were growing up, your mom was doing what she was told was best, especially with three growing boys. I mean, she was probably told by the doctor, you better get a lot of dairy in these boys. They're they're athletic, they're active, they need to have strong bones. And so she was just going on what she thought was the healthiest choice for you guys.
1: Absolutely. I mean, so for sure. And you know, we didn't discuss nutrition a whole lot growing up, but um, absolutely the she she and my family and all families, all families have been influenced in some way by industry messaging and also by governmental messaging that this is the best thing for you. Um, it's, and it's something that you and I are both trying to advocate against and, and raise people, people's awareness that this really isn't the best thing for you. But, but now I can say that I don't, I don't like, um, going into a lot of detail having to do with my parents because they, they appreciate, uh, their privacy, but I, I will say that I'm very happy that they, I've rubbed off on them a little bit and certainly their, their meat and their. Milk and dairy and animal product consumption has gone down considerably since I started educating the public uh, about uh, plant based nutrition and, and getting rid of animal products.
0: Awesome. Okay, so you watch Forks Over Knives, and then you were like, okay, I want to try this. Athletes can do it, it might help me. Was it a difficult transition whenever you replace those animal products with whole plant foods?
1: I wouldn't say it was a difficult transition. I would say uh, it was a transition that was certainly a learning process. I certainly made mistakes, but I wouldn't necessarily call it difficult. Uh, I am a very simple eater. I don't really like to follow recipes so i think that played to my advantage in that i didn't feel bogged down by having to follow like i must follow a recipe for three meals a day i i rarely ever followed recipes i just sort of made dishes that made sense to me you know and and that's part of the um yeah you know, i'm i'm creating this and and almost done with this webinar right now which is a separate topic but some of the the Tips and tactics that I give to people who are transitioning to this, whether you're an athlete or an average layperson, is is base your dishes around three steps. Number one is a starchy carbohydrate. Step number two is fill in around that with a non starchy carbohydrate, like like a, a colorful fruit or vegetable. And step three, if you're concerned with this kind of thing, is you can add your plant based quote unquote protein with beans and legumes or a plant-based fat, maybe some avocado or some olives. So the transition for me, and, and that, that was basically how I did things and how I still do things for, for the last eight years. So the, the transition of getting rid of the food, I, I wasn't overly emotionally attached to the animal products and the foods that I was eating. Now I will say that the transition period for me was not overnight, it was not cold turkey. Because, and and this is something else. I encourage people to do. Certain people, I guess, unless you are suffering right here and now with a chronic illness or with a, a chronic morbid obesity or some other kind of comorbidity like that, um, I think that transitioning slowly over time gives you uh, more room, more wiggle room to kind of make mistakes and 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 do the transition slowly. So that way, in the long run, the uh, results. And the um, the lifestyle itself will stick. And that's certainly what I did.
0: So, how long did that transition take for you?
1: So, the transition, I would say the transition period for me was roughly a year. Uh, because, you know, I, I say before, and, and I guess I'm going to go back a little bit, I said before that I wasn't emotionally attached to these foods, but there's certainly the, the strong argument that, hey, this is convenience food. Uh, some of it's pretty cheap too. And so, in that year, I said, um, you know, I, I went plant-based for, you know, let's say a month and then quote-unquote slipped up, let's say, and had an animal product, had some cheese, had some meat. I said, okay, not a big deal. I, 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 Again, this is how my mind works. I identified the reason why that happened. Either I was starving and that was the only option or I went over to a friend's house and those were the options available. And, and I didn't bring a dish that was plant-based or that that um, I would feel good about eating. So those mistakes happen and those slip-ups happened um, quite often during the first year. But again, something else I encourage people to do is just don't feel bad about those mistakes or slip-ups. If this really means a lot to you, be critical of why those mistakes happened. Identify the reasons and then try to identify some uh, um some methods or some things to uh, prevent those from happening in the future. And that's how we learn over time. And that's how we get better.
0: I love that, Ian. I love that. And I'm just going to point out something. I I think this is a very man way of thinking. Okay. Because I think a lot of women, I'm not going to try to be like a, you know, um, sexist here, but women tend to make things very emotional. So, and it is this kind of perfectionistic, all or nothing, going to do this, we slip up, okay, it's over. I'm, I'm a failure. I just can't do this anymore. But the way you approached it was very solution focused. So you were like, oh, darn, I had some cheese at my friend's house. So why did that happen and how can I prevent it next time? Just very objective. It doesn't have to be emotional. It doesn't have to be like I'm a bad person or I'm a failure. It's just like, oh, this happened. How can I do it differently next time? It's very solution focused. I love that tip. That is so great. And that is what helps people continue any habit or behavior change for the long term is having that solution focused approach to it. That's wonderful. Okay. So you made the transition. It took you about a year. How long did it take before you saw benefits in your athletic performance or did you even see benefits?
1: I did. Yes. So how long did it take to see benefits in my athletic performance? I would say within the first several weeks, uh, I saw increased recovery times. I saw, I felt better. I felt less sore after i went out for a 50 or 60 or 70 mile bike ride i was able to and so like if i i got home previously from a 70 mile bike ride i may have had to recover from that for a couple of days before i go out for another hard 70 mile bike ride and now i went out for a long bike ride i recovered well with lots of colorful fruits and vegetables and, and plant-based foods. And the next day, if the opportunity was there, if if there was a, you know, I was part of a, a club, a cycling club, a team. And if they said, Hey, I'm going out for another ride today, 50 mile, or who wants to join me? I said, if I had time, I feel great. I said, I feel great. So I went out for those rides. So I was able to fit in more training, more volume in a given time. And for any athlete, that's like the holy grail. If you can, if, if I make the example of if you have two athletes, one's eating poorly, let's say, omnivorous, doesn't really, not too much uh, uh, concern about what they're eating, and they're getting by. They feel okay. They feel decent. And you have another person who is eating plant-based, who is minding their nutrition, paying a lot of attention. The first person, the omnivorous, might only be able to fit in four workouts per week because they need that recovery time. The other person who's eating plant-based, who's, who's recovering better, who's, who's feeling less sore, has more energy, uh, might be able to fit in six workouts in that given week. So if you extrapolate that over the course of 15, 20, 25, 30 weeks over the course of a season or a year, that's a significant amount of workouts that that plant-based athlete's getting in over their competition. Mm-hmm. And this is what I experienced. So I felt great in the first couple of weeks, and I knew that there was something here. I, I knew there was something with eating this way. And as far as, you know, like uh, another common concern is protein, which maybe we can get into if, if you want, is the protein concern um, took me several years to really fully embrace. I There, there were stretches, not, uh, very um, sporadic stretches, where I did take like a, uh, you know, Brendan Brazier's uh, Vega protein line of Vega proteins. I, I did take those sporadically because I just didn't believe the claims that you could get enough protein from plants <laughs> until until now. Um, certainly within the past three or four years, fully embraced that. I actively discourage people to consume that those products. And and the other um, positive, which the art, a strong argument can be made that it affected my athletic performance, was I slept better. When my head hit the pillow, I was lights out in like 10 minutes, just something having to do with these foods sitting well in your stomach, not taking a whole lot of time to digest and just feeding into these different mechanisms within the body made me fall asleep quicker, sleep more soundly, which certainly played a role in my athletic performance as well.
0: That's great. and. I mean, I think just like you were saying before, for athletes, whether you're competitive or whether you do this recreationally, you're doing it because you love it. And for anybody that wants to keep doing their sport or multiple sports, that this is a great way to eat because it allows you to continue to do that, not just better when you're younger, But for many more years, like you could be doing this into retirement, you know, and definitely cycling because it's low impact. So that's great. And you've been uh, an athlete pretty much your whole life, right? How old were you when you started playing sports?
1: Well, so I mean, let's see, playing sports. I I like to say, I wish I had a picture of this. I just kind of redid the my story section on my website. But I wish I had a picture of when I was in kindergarten, I broke my leg. I I was either uh, tibia or fibula. And I remember it was like when I was four or five, I was hitting wiffle balls with a bongo bat in my wheelchair in the backyard. So (laughs) I've always been active. And I actually broke my leg riding my bike when I was four or five. I've always been active. And uh, I would say playing, um, you know, scholastic sports, soccer, basketball, baseball ever since seventh grade. Um, And then Kind of nine varsity letters later, I picked up Ultimate Frisbee in undergrad and really picked up cycling pretty competitively and pretty seriously in grad school
0: that 's great, so what do you think it is about a whole foods plant based diet that is so beneficial for athletes
1: so the literature the literature is pretty strong on this and and, and shows some significant trends on why why it's not only healthier for athletes, but also just for the average layperson. And the first reason is because there are, there's more antioxidants and more phytochemicals and these antioxidants. So when when athletes engage in aerobic activities, there is a lot of aerobic metabolism going on. So there's a lot of, of free radicals and um, reactive oxygen species going on within the body. And so, Although this inflammation is happening in both the layperson and the athlete, there's a lot more of it happening in the athlete. And it's a natural bodily process, and the body also creates its own endogenous antioxidants. But we can affect the volume of oxidation and the the volume of inflammation within the body by what we eat. And so if we are eating foods that have orders of magnitude more antioxidants in them versus what we were eating, we can significantly affect this inflammatory environment within the body. And so uh, if this inflammatory environment is, think of it like pouring water over a fire. If we can naturally and more effectively douse this inflammatory fire within our bodies, Uh, we can jumpstart and expedite the recovery process because part of the recovery process before, if you were eating omnivorous, didn't really care what you ate. Part of the recovery process was uh, uh, quenching that fire. Now we can do that with the foods that we're eating so we can expedite the recovery process. Um, That, that really is one of the main factors. And you know, well, some of the other things that come to mind are the, uh, the diet of going whole foods plant-based is significantly higher as well in other vital uh, minerals and, and, and vitamins. So one of the things, though, that people say is, well, you have to supplement. You know, this diet isn't uh, what we should all be doing because you claim that you have to supplement with things like B12. And I would say to them, you're right. But that's one of the only things we have to supplement with. If people are so concerned with not being able to get the nutrients they need because they're eliminating milk, they're eliminating meat. But if anything, we would be getting more nutrients, more vitamins, more minerals if we're eating more plants. Because this this isn't really an argument is that fruits and vegetables, whole grains, plants contain more of those nutrients of wider variety. So for for athletes, there are certainly things that I would uh, say, hey, make sure you know where you're getting your sources of calcium, of iron, of your omega-3s and your essential fatty acids. But they're really, you should not be worried about getting all of the nutrients you need if you are eating a wide variety of foods, number one, and I should say that's the number two, number one most important thing in my book for athletes in particular is simply getting enough calories from whole plant foods. If you're getting enough calories from whole plant foods and eating a wide variety of whole plant foods, you should have nothing to worry about.
0: Absolutely. I agree hundred percent. And I I just want to add to your discussion there on antioxidants that animal products in general have very little to no antioxidants. So I almost think of these as kind of like dead foods. Like they're just devoid of that life-giving, health-promoting substance that our bodies really need. And it could be in the order of a thousand times more, especially for herbs and spices, which are very, very high in antioxidants. They can be ten thousand times more antioxidants compared to like a glass of milk or a slab of meat. Yeah. So that, that's very important. Um, I, go I ahead. I
1: agree. And just one more t- one more thing on that too is is not only are these animal foods do they have, let's say, for the sake of argument, less antioxidants, but the the foods that we think are actually contributing to our recovery. Things like big old glasses of milk, chocolate milk, and meat may actually be adding to that inflammation, that inflammatory process, because the metabolites, the way these foods are metabolized in the bodies could create more of this inflammation, which points even stronger towards eating the the anti-inflammatory foods of plants. Go ahead.
0: Thank you so much. And I, I do, I teach this, exact same concept. What I tell my classes is that even if it were neutral, like just say it, it were just neutral and you just look at it as far as the amount of antioxidants and fiber, it's not beneficial, but they're not neutral. They're usually harmful right? because they're doing, they're, causing the oxidation, (laughs) they're causing those problems and the high protein from animals, we know that there's evidence that that they harm our bodies. So excellent point. I kind of just stay on the neutral because I try to stay more positive about plants, but we do have to also remind people that there are harmful properties of the animal products. But I do also want to add uh, the fiber, in whole plant foods, because that's a big one for me. I think our biggest deficiency in the standard American diet is fiber. And even though it just seems like this kind of inert thing that helps you poop, it really does contribute to our health by preventing disease, by binding to excess hormones and binding to excess cholesterols and taking those toxins out of our body. So whenever you go from a diet where you're focused on chicken breast and Greek yogurt, and you don't have that fiber, and you start eating a whole food plant based diet, and you really emphasize that fiber, that's probably another mechanism why people start to feel much better, you know, so
1: I agree. 100%. Yeah, uh, I I totally agree with that. I think, you know, if you look at the evidence, we are (laughs) <laughs> they say, where do you get your protein? Well, first of all, we get plenty of protein, but one of the counter arguments that the, the tongue in cheek counter arguments to someone who asks us that question is someone on an omnivorous or a standard American diet is where do you get your fiber from? And so, like you said, fiber by definition is only found in plants. It is incredibly beneficial to our health. It is one of the You know, I could show you some citations, but some of the studies show that that is one of the um, main advantages of eating plant-based and, and populations who tend to live the longest have the, have a much, much higher amount of fiber in their diet. Now they're not supplementing with this. They're getting it for that. They're getting it from a package and the package that fiber comes in is plants. Mm -hmm. So yes, I'm totally on board with fiber. Um, and, and so, you know, don't be afraid, like, don't be afraid of carbs. Don't be afraid, afraid of fiber.
0: No fiber is definitely my favorite F word. Everybody please eat your fiber. And you're right. Ian, there's no gummy fiber supplement tree out in nature. That's like, as a pediatrician, uh, a lot of parents want to give their kids, you know, gummy fiber supplements. And I'm just like, why just eat plants, eat plants. That's, That's my thing. Okay. So you've given a lot of great tips so far, but what if one of the listeners today, they they haven't transitioned yet. They're curious about this. They want to see whether it helps them with their athletic goals and desires. Where do you suggest they start?
1: Sure. Well, so this is um, maybe the, the best time, if any, to, to give a, a shameless plug to, <laughs> something, to something that I'm developing because I feel like there's a conversation that's missing. Although it's growing, I think that the conversation that, that's missing is this is not only possible for athletes, but it can make athletes thrive. But the, the missing piece is having someone take athletes And I'll say, in my case, endurance athletes, step-by-step through the process of, here's what a whole foods plant-based diet is, here's how it can help you, and here's how to implement it. I'm putting the finishing touches on the first edition of a webinar to take people from start to finish, how they can implement a whole foods plant-based diet. I I talk about macronutrients, micronutrients, all the myths. So getting back to your question, though, about how can people start? How can people make the transition? So I, I, I guess, you know, you, you, you just got to try it. I guess that's the simplest thing. Now, what I would say is if you are in season, whether you are, um, you know, collegiate in season, or, you know, you're a a, a recreational triathlete, I would recommend not doing this in season because if you're getting by, there, there is there there is a possibility of doing some things quote unquote wrong and kind of ruining your season now what I mean by that and I'm not saying wrong as in like these mistakes will lead to death I'm saying wrong in terms of you might have some issues getting enough calories that that is a very common mistake or um you know that that really is the main thing or not getting enough variety of foods or it being boring and you saying well I give up So, how can people make the transition? I would say um, is slowly integrate more plants into your diet and and rather talk about it positively. Like, um, what can I add to my diet? Rather than saying, I can't eat this stuff. I shouldn't eat this stuff. Is say, what can I eat more of? Again, going back to my example of here's how athletes should structure their plates is think of a Complex carbohydrate, a starchy carbohydrate, things like brown rice. Even in times of need, white rice will suffice. Uh, sweet potatoes, white potatoes, quinoa, oats are another good one. So those are your those are where you're going to be getting the majority of your carbohydrate calories. And carbohydrates, as many of us know, is the primary macronutrient for athletes. It is the macronutrient that uh, is the primary limiter of athleticism. So we wanna make sure we're getting plenty of that. Number two is I would fill in around that starchy carb with with some non-starchy, you know, peppers, onions, uh, broccoli, some of those things with a lot of nutrient density.
0: Have you found the keys to unlock your best trip? On a Trafalgar tour, you unlock more than just the world. We give you the keys to discover real connections and one-of-a-kind experiences. It all starts with expert itineraries where everything is taken care of. With Trafalgar, your money goes further, and so do you. Unlock your best self. Discover more at trafalgar.com slash unlock. That's trafalga dot slash unlock.
1: The first step had, had quite a bit of calorie density relative to other plant foods. Second step is more nutrient density, getting a lot of those antioxidants and vitamins and minerals. And the third step, is if you'd like, this is kind of more optional, but if you'd like, I always like adding beans or lentils or maybe a, a kind of an overt fat like uh, like an avocado or an olive or maybe for breakfast if it's like a chia seed or a flax seed. Is that is, again, another great source of calories for athletes and um, a great source of potentially some uh, essential omega fatty acids or uh, some additional protein, if that's something you're concerned with. Um, I guess that's that's where I would start. Anything else I should elaborate on, Dr. Yami?
0: No, I, I, I think that all sounds great. And, I, and I'm gonna go back to what you said at the beginning of our conversation in that it's totally fine to keep this simple. You know, I think that this is a great time to learn how to do a little batch cooking, just make yourself a big pot of brown rice, roast yourself some potatoes, you know, have some quinoa available. You can make your, your lentils and your beans. And that's the way I eat too. Like I don't like to spend a lot of time in the kitchen. You don't have to be a chef. You don't have to be gourmet. Just have those basic ingredients available so that you can throw them together in whatever way sounds good for that particular meal. So bingo. keeping it simple is a big thing. And I guess if, if you were to ask me the same question, I'm not a competitive athlete, it may be in in my dreams, but (laughs) Um, I think one of the first things I would do, in addition to adding more whole plant foods, like you said, is find ways to start replacing dairy or eliminating dairy out of the diet, because I just feel like that one in particular is just so inflammatory, and there's just so many alternatives now. And I think that that makes it a little bit more acceptable and a little bit more realistic for people because there's ways that you can start making switches as you transition away from the dairy. So I think Absolutely. those are good. Now you said that one of the pitfalls for athletes, especially competitive athletes, so some people really are training multiple hours per day and you know the average American's not. So for competitive athletes, it's a, it's a lot of calorie burn. So one of the things that you talked about was just not getting sufficient calories. When people are used to eating these high fat, really dense, uh, omnivorous foods and animal products, when they switch, they may make the mistake of going straight to a lot of salads and things like that. So that's one of your tips is make sure you get enough calories. But what other pitfalls my athletes encounter when they're transitioning to a whole food plant-based diet? Uh,
1: so <clears throat> maybe another pitfall might be, hey, everything I'm eating, uh, like I'm getting bored. I'm getting bored with all the foods that I'm, or the, the very few dishes and foods that I'm eating. And my solution to that would be uh, buy a cookbook. Uh, although I don't advocate strongly for buying cookbooks, we, ad, we both advocate for keeping things simple. If um, those foods, if you want a little bit more pizzazz and you want to add some more spices and more um, flavorings to food and you don't quite know how to combine this spice and that spice and that flavoring and that condiment, is go with cookbooks if you're, if you're getting bored with what you're eating. But again, I would my my response to someone who says, "Hey, I've been plant based for two weeks and I'm getting bored." I would ask them, "Are you getting bored with your previous diet? You know, are you do you eat the same? People generally eat the same twelve or thirteen or fourteen foods over and over and over again, as well as dishes. And um, so that issue can just be resolved by buying a cookbook. Um, The other pitfall is could be, hey, this food I'm eating, it tastes really bland. Again, that is a consequence of eating foods that are very sugary, very salty, and very fatty um, on a standard American diet or on a more omnivorous diet. And so what I would say to that is be patient. Number one, your taste buds will get used to the subtle nuances of more fruits and vegetables. But number two is there's no one saying you can't dash a little bit of salt on top of your potatoes, on top of your rice, on top of your dish. If anything, that would be, I mean, that certainly is a healthier alternative than going omnivorous and eating whatever you want. You can control how much sodium and how much salt you're eating. Looking big picture, which is something I have done since day one, I encourage everyone to do. Looking big picture. Is sprinkling a little bit of salt? You're an athlete. You're burning four or five thousand calories a day. You're burning. You're getting going through a lot of. You're sweating a lot. A lot of electrolytes. Is that going to lead to heart disease? Is that going to lead to poor health in your 80s and 90s? Probably not. So just just look at the bigger picture, uh, and and make your health choices that way. the The other pitfall, the, the last pitfall I can think of is it's harder to eat out. Um, because yeah, I get it. Like there it's really easy to go through a drive-through and get something really quick and really cheap and really tasty. But for that, I would say number one, something that I do is, is you, you got to pack your lunch. And if you get into the groove of learning how to make these dishes and batching your foods on Sundays, you got your brown rice, uh, big uh, Tupperware of that. You got a big Tupperware full of broccoli, a big Tupperware full of, of um, steamed or roasted vegetables, and you pick from that during the week. The other thing is, we are seeing a shift to as of today, in the last five years as well, of more restaurants and more eateries are developing their menus with more healthy options, with more plant-based options, because We're asking for it. So the more you ask for these things, the more comment cards you put in those little bins that say, hey, I really wish you had some vegan options and some plant-based options, the more they'll realize that they can make money off of people who wanna eat healthier. So there are more and more options out there. I know at least here in Rochester, New York, there are growing options. Even for people who, you know, if they're thinking, man, I can't think of a single single good option near me. Do you have a Chipotle or a Moe's near you? Even though they have the chicken and the beef and the cheese and the sour cream, you can make a super healthy burrito dish with rice and beans and lots of veggies and maybe a little bit of avocado on top. Super good, super healthy. And uh, that is uh, not only great for the for the layperson, but also for the athlete who wants to recover for the next workout.
0: Mm, beautiful. Yeah. And I want to go back to that point on neuroadaptation as you as you change your diet and you get off of that hyper palatable diet, that's really high in sugar, salt and oil, your taste buds and your brain actually adapts. Like you downgrade all of your receptors so that, you don't need as much stimulation to get the same effect. And I, you know, I, when I teach my cooking classes that are in series, sometimes by the end of the series, these ladies are coming in and be like, oh my God, I just had some cherry tomatoes today. And they were just amazing. <laughs> you know? like,
1: it was like candy,
0: you know, and that happens to you once those taste buds start to neuro adapt. And, and that's a beautiful thing. Um, but also on your point on restaurants, I had something funny happen yesterday. This is my birthday month, even though my birthday was, you know, like a couple weeks ago, I celebrate all month. So last night I went out to eat with my friends and we live in a small town. And this was a restaurant that we've been hearing through the grapevine wants to have more vegan options to cater to the vegans, vegetarians in town. So we went, we told them we were coming. We knew what we were going to order, but the chef decided to have a little fun and they kept bringing out. Different dishes for us to try on the house. Like awesome. we were just, we were just going to be there like critics that night, and it was. We were by the. end, We were so stuffed. I was so full, so I overate. But it was just so cool to see these beautiful plant-based dishes that they were bringing out. Um, and even in a small town, the tide is changing, and we are getting more options. So it is getting easier. But as people transition to this way of eating, and they just change their paradigm they start seeing menus differently you can start picking out how to eat and I have a video series on veggie fit kids called how a pediatrician orders that and I go to fast food restaurants and I show people that even at panda Express or you know uh, taco Bell taco Bell <laughs> you can find things to eat that are acceptable and mostly whole foods you know it may not be as the most perfectly health promoting but you know it's It's one of those things all right so i want to get on to a controversial topic the ketogenic diet this is hot hot everybody wants to try it everybody wants to start testing their ketones and and apparently this diet makes you think clearer and makes you faster, and I mean, it, it sounds amazing. <laughs> so, right, it so sounds like the, the
1: panacea, it's the panacea. Yes.
0: Everybody should be like constantly producing ketones, apparently, this is like the way we should live now, is right. ketosis. So tell me in your opinion, is the ketogenic diet or these high fat diets, are they more beneficial for athletes?
1: Well, so the short answer on that is no. But but I will say I always let, let's make a let's make a ketogenic sandwich here, Dr. Yami. The one thing that I think the ketogenic diet has going for it is it 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 it, it says let's eliminate the processed sugars, the processed flours, and I think that's great. And that's the same thing with, with paleo. Paleo sort of died down a little bit with the advent of so much uh, uh, press about ketogenic. That's the one thing I think we can all agree on. Um, and, and, and if we're talking even broader lifestyle habits, the other thing that all of ketogenic and plant-based and, and paleo connoisseurs can all agree on too is like, you should probably stop smoking. That's something we can all agree on. So, so, so there's, there's something that we can all agree on, but if we're talking specifically athletic performance, if people want to adopt a ketogenic diet, thinking that they're going to be better athletes, they're nuts. They're crazy. They, they don't understand basic, um, sports nutrition. So like I was saying before, um, carbohydrates are the number one limiting factor for athletic performance. And let's, let's keep it kind of in the realm of of endurance athletics is, uh, if you didn't, if you went into a bike ride or a workout, um, and your, your internal gas tanks of, of glycogen and energy were topped off. And if you were working out at a very high intensity, And this is the the unit is a percentage of your VO2 max. If you're working at 70, 80, 90% of your VO2 max, probably the most amount of time you could go without bonking and hitting the wall and depleting your glycogen stores is approximately 90 minutes, depending on many factors. Mainly it's how well are you conditioned. So, the people on the ketogenic diet and and a high fat people who say they're fat adapted athletes and to a certain extent all of us are fat adapted we're right now dr yami and i are both you and i are both burning uh 50 60 70 percent of our calories at rest in a very aerobic state we're burning it from fats and we're also burning some carbohydrate it's a it's a mix but the lower the percentage of VO2 max someone is working at, in other words, the more oxygen they are using, or rather, no, let me, let me step back. The, the lower the intensity of the exercise, the greater the proportion of fat that athlete is using. And that has to do with a physiologic process of converting a fat molecule or a carbohydrate molecule into what your muscles use, which is ATP. That conversion process takes a finite amount of time. And so the next question you would ask is, well, is that amount of time to take a fat molecule and convert it in your body to ATP the same as taking a carbohydrate molecule and converting it to ATP? Is that amount of time the same? The answer is no. It takes a much longer amount of time to convert a fat molecule into usable ATP. And so when you stomp on the gas and you need instant energy, let's say uh, there there is, if in a bike race, there's a breakaway or if it's the last two miles of a marathon or of a running race and you're trying to uh, increase your intensity to 80 or 90% of your VO2 max, you need energy very, very quickly. and Because that process uh, of converting carbohydrates to energy is much quicker, that is what your body is going to call upon to create that uh, uh, very quick energy. Now, someone ketogenic, they might argue, well, wouldn't this work better then for those in ultra-endurance events or those not exercising at... Uh, 70% of your VO2 max and above, possibly, uh, because although the the amount of glycogen and the amount of carbohydrates one can store on, in their body is only about, um, again, 90 minutes worth, uh, we'll say in the neighborhood of thousand to 1,500 calories, the body, depending on the amount of adipose tissue on their body is anywhere between 50 and 100,000 calories of adipose tissue. So if you're burning at a low intensity and you're fat adapted, um, there may be an argument. But here's my argument, is that the vast majority of athletes, triathletes, uh, those who are doing uh, marathons, um, cyclists, they... Are working at a high intensity at some point during the race, so they 're going to need those carbohydrate stores and and the other thing that I point to is you the reason why you don't see a professional cycling team all adopting a ketogenic diet is because it doesn't work don't you think you know we 've known about ketogenic diets for over a hundred years don't you think that there's a lot of money in pro, pro sports, including cycling don't you think that uh, a cycling coach a team manager a mad scientist out there would say hold on a second there's a lot of there's a lot of power in this ketogenic diet it's so powerful I want to I want to change this entire cycling team to ketogenic because I know it'll work better don't you think someone would have thought of that and the reason why you don't see a ketogenic pro team is because it doesn't work it doesn't work at creating winners um, and, and that's and so that's not even Counting the detrimental effects of one's health. That's just kind of mainly from an athleticism standpoint.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you for that answer. And so that helps simplify it down just to remember that it is more efficient for the body to use carbohydrates for that energy store than to try to do the long process of converting fats. So we can do it. And like Ian was saying, we would not be here today if humans were not able to use their fat stores for long periods of time, because we used to go through these like really long famines where we didn't have food. We don't have to do that anymore. Most right. of the, most of us in the United States, which is nice, but so the human body can do it just because we can do it. Doesn't mean it's ideal. Doesn't mean that it's going to help you reach your athletic potential. And even if it weren't just for your muscles, your brain also needs glucose. So I'm just thinking about whenever you're an athlete, and especially for some sports, you have to think a lot too. So you don't want to be like all foggy, like low energy, not being able to actually think about what your next move is, how you're going to be able to improve whatever you're doing. Um, obviously, I'm not a sports person. I don't even know how to explain that. But anyway, what I'm saying is, you need glucose both for your muscles and for your brain. So I agree with Ian. Right. I'm thinking for these athletes out there, it's probably not going to be a good idea to right.
1: Skincare. And again, just to just to reiterate that again, we're not saying glucose from Twinkies. We're saying carbohydrates and and sugars from whole plant foods that your body breaks down into storable glucose. Uh, we're not so. That is one of the he- the big things that they say. Oh, they're eating carbohydrates, which is it's it's uh, honey buns and Twinkies, and it's no- that no, it's not. The second thing I want to say very briefly is there was just recently the um, the big conference in DC, the International Conference on Plant Based Nutrition and Medicine, or something like that, hosted by PCRM. And one of the one of the quotes going around was by a presenter, and she said, uh, "The first ketogenic diet was starvation," <laughs> right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So anyway.
0: And so, yeah, we can do it. Obviously we can do it, but it, 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 it's stressful and it's not going to get you to where you want to be with your athletic goals. So very good. Okay. So I'm a pediatrician. So I want to ask you a little bit about if you have any specific thoughts or recommendations for young athletes.
1: Thoughts or recommendations for young athletes. Uh, I would say, so I work in a field of sports medicine. And so uh, I'm contracted out to a local high school, and I also see patients and athletes of all kinds within an orthopedic and outpatient physical therapy clinic. So I do, and, and, and because I am immersed in nutrition, and because I do see a lot of athletes, I guess the, the thing that would prevent most of the ailments that I see coming in my door in the athletic training room is better recovery. Athletes these days, and, and a, a, an argument can be made that there's, there, well, there's many factors. One is, it's there's more competition in to getting into a good school and getting a scholarship. There's more uh, push from the parents to be active and, and be in three different travel leagues for a particular sport per season. And I see a lot of overuse injuries coming in the athletic training room. And also a lot of um, epiphyseal and growth plate injuries. We see, I see it a lot in, you know, we see it a lot in the knee in the Mm Osgood-Schlatters. We see it a lot in the hip as well. uh, Epiphysitis of the uh, iliac crest of those hip flexor muscles, and that is a combination of overuse, poor recovery, and poor nutrition. So it's really if if an athlete can do it if an athlete can play a scholastic soccer for the varsity soccer team and can play in a travel league at the same time okay like just be careful but one of the things I say to these athletes who come in with an overuse injury is I say are you just playing sports for XYZ high school usually the answer is no. And I say, that is the reason why you are injured because you're, you're not recovering and healing. Now we can, I always say to these athletes, one of the things, one of my jams outside of sports nutrition or sports medicine is sports nutrition. And I always encourage them to eat more fruits and vegetables because Like for endurance athletes, those antioxidants and all the phytochemicals and all the beneficial components of fruits and vegetables will help me recover. It's also going to help especially them, a 14, 15, 16-year-old high school athlete. It's going to help them recover and grow, and that's another thing that they have going against them is those open growth plates, but they can still do something. There are steps that they can take to ensure, to do everything they can to recover from their athletic endeavors. Mm-hmm. Um, just mind your nutrition, watch the junk food. In general, very broadly, more fruits and vegetables, uh, less meat and less dairy, because again, it, that's we talked about before, is inflammation and not the best sources of uh, phytochemicals and accidents for sure. So it's just minding your nutrition and getting lots of sleep and listening to your body as well. If you have an overuse injury or if you're always always constantly hungry on this lifestyle, listen to your body and the signals it's sending to you and then create a course of action.
0: Mm. Oh, that's great advice. I love it. And I I do see in these very competitive high school athletes that they are involved in a lot. And what Ian's talking about isn't just your regular exercise and you should be getting at least 60 minutes a day and you know, getting out there regularly. This is above and beyond that. This is high level, lots of exercise, lots of training. And, and it, it does wear on these bodies because teenagers are still growing, especially boys. They're still growing very rapidly at this time. So it is a time when you have to be careful about overuse injuries. And I think one thing that happens, especially with teen boys, is because they are in such good shape, you know, they feel like nutrition's not as important. They're like, oh, you know, I can get away with it. I'm going to be lean. They might have a six pack, but I tell them if you have a Lamborghini, are you going to just put trash inside the the gas tank? No, you're going to get like the finest fuel. So treat your body like this amazing machine that it is and put the best fuel in it. You're going to shine up that car just like you're shining up and cleaning the car. Make sure you're getting plenty of rest do your stress you know reduction techniques whatever you need to do to keep your machine running at its tip top performance see yourself right. as that amazing machine that you are so i but think I, those yeah go but ahead. i
1: think but i think you would agree with me dr yami is is that um, young kids are especially resilient they have a lot of they have a much higher amount of endogenous antioxidants that are flowing through their young bodies so although they might be that ferrari or lamborghini and even though they're putting in bad gas, at the moment, it might, they might not experience those detrimental effects. But what I am trying to impress upon this younger generation is that the, the habits that we develop and, and grow into now are going to extend beyond your high school or collegiate days. And it's and likely the habits that we adopt when we're athletes carry on to when we're we're adults, and and it's likely that those habits aren't the best habits for preventing chronic diseases in our fifties and sixties and seventies. So, what I tried the, the picture I'm trying to paint is eating healthier now is even if you know a twenty year old. I was just listening to an episode of the Rich Roll podcast yesterday where he had uh, uh, Nimai Delgado, where he said. Try convincing a 20-year-old to be concerned about heart disease. Good luck. But what he said and what I'm trying to do as well is we're trying to convince that person with evidence and with strong arguments is that this will help your athletic performance. It's not going to make you a worse. You're not going to sacrifice your short-term athletic performance for long-term gains. There's no sacrifice. You don't have to sacrifice your short-term athletic performance. In fact, you would be a better athlete now while at the same time doing everything you can to prevent a chronic disease in your 50s and 60s and 70s. And we see that as evidence with, uh, like, say, the blue zones, that these people, sports nutrition should be, in effect, largely the same diet and the same nutrition as centenarians living in Okinawa, Japan. Mm -hmm. That's the message we're trying to get through.
0: Exactly. And it doesn't have to be this complicated protein shake supplement sort of thing, you know, like that's wonderful. I love it. Thank you so much. All right, Ian, back to you. I want to ask you what personal habit are you most proud of? How did you develop it and how do you maintain it?
1: Wow. So I, I guess more recently, if I were to say in the last year, the personal habit that I am most proud of that I think has really served me well is trying to learn something every day, whether it be simply from like a, a podcast I listen to or one of my hundreds, I'm looking right now at these three-inch three inch ring binders full of peer-reviewed studies, trying to learn a little bit more about how our bodies work uh, in order to help people. So I, I encourage something my mom encouraged me Ever since I can remember, she was my seventh-grade English teacher. Growing up, is it doesn't matter what you read; just read. It not only will help you as a human being, but it, it gets you interested into certain topics. The first uh, periodical or or piece of literature that I read, kind of from cover to cover, was *Bicycling* magazine when I when I was in middle school because I really enjoyed it. So, whatever it it doesn't matter what it is. Just read something and start learning because it's all money in the bank. And, and I see this, this passion of mine, reading these books and educating myself on this stuff. It's all money in the bank that will help me later on. And for those out there, whatever your passion or interest may be, just continue to learn and think of it as it's never wasted time. It's all money in the bank.
0: Oh, that's wonderful, Ian. And you are, you're just so passionate. You just exude this passion, but that's great advice for everybody just to spend some time reading. And not only does it give you that knowledge, but it's also inspiring and motivating. So especially if you're somebody that wants to continue a certain lifestyle, if you surround yourself With information about that lifestyle, read about it, get better at it, be on you know in different groups, get the support you need that will inspire and motivate you to continue this for the long term. So that Mm -hmm. is wonderful advice. Thank you so much. Great habit. So, how can my listeners connect with you and what services do you offer?
1: Well, so I have a Facebook page that is fairly active. It's plant-based cyclists that that um alter ego kind of started, I want to say three or four years ago. And, you know, I guess my website is plantbasedcyclist.com, and I try to update that regularly, including one of the most recent episodes of the Ian Kramer podcast with Dr. Yami. <laughs> and so, like Dr. Yami, I uh, I have this podcast where I interview doctors and scholars of lifestyle medicine and plant-based nutrition. And this again started out of. Uh, somewhat selfishly i just wanted to learn more about learn more from experts about why this lifestyle works um and i thought well other people could benefit from this too so let's publish them and that's been very successful up to this point i think this this past saturday we published episode 47 they can find the details on that either on the itunes store or on stitcher or on my website and just basically you name the social media platform and i'm on it and they can also you can also just uh, drop me a direct email if you want you can find that on my website too
0: and are you doing any uh, personal coaching or anything like that what kind of services do you offer to people
1: well so the 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 personal coaching at one point in my um, life was an option but to be very honest with you it didn't really pan out in the way that i had hoped so the, the 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 services I guess that I offer are uh, I really have enjoyed in the last year and a half public speaking. So I envision myself, and, and I think this is a very healthy habit for someone who's passionate and with drive and who wants to uh, to secure a goal is to think about life in five years. I would love to be able to travel the country at some point and be invited to large universities and professional teams and speak publicly about the benefits of this lifestyle for athletes or something I've done here locally in the Rochester area is present at local libraries and and functions and festivals on how this lifestyle will benefit the the layperson uh, in terms of chronic disease prevention and reversal so apart from that service I guess the only other one that I'm cultivating right now is this educational series, uh, this webinar that I'm creating to educate people about how they can implement this lifestyle, this plant-based lifestyle from start to finish.
0: Awesome. That sounds great. Well, I hope to be able to invite you over to the Pacific Northwest in the near future. That would be fun to have you come speak over here. I'd love to come. And I will definitely make sure the show notes have all of your links to your podcast and Facebook, but people should definitely like you and follow you so that they can see updates on the webinar that you're going to be releasing soon. And I really, really appreciate everything that you do. So thank you so much for your passion and for the time that you give and you know all of the wonderful change and transformation that you're helping promote in the world.
1: Thank you very much Dr. Yami for your time. Thank you.
0: Have a fantastic day.
1: Thank you. Bye-bye.
0: I hope that you enjoyed today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I look forward to having you back again next time. A very special thank you to the band Rocket Surgeons for permission to use the broccoli song. To find out more about the Rocket Surgeons, please visit their website at rocketsurgeonsband.com or Facebook at facebook.com forward slash rocket music. Also, for more information on my work, you can find me at VeggieFitKids on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube, or you can email me at VeggieDoctor at VeggieFitKids.com. Sharing is caring. Please share, rate, and review my podcast and contact me if you have ideas for future episodes. Thank you once again and have a plantastic day.